welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. So if you weren't here last week, know that we started from Luke, the sermon not on the mount, but on the plain. And it's much shorter than Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. But what we talked about was that prior to the, the sermon, Jesus established the new Israel through the symbolic number of 12, 12 disciples on the mountain called 12, came down the mountain, started healing everybody, letting everybody touch him. And those were people Jewish and Gentile. And in the midst of this great work, he raises his eyes to his disciples and begins to teach. And so what we learned is that there are people in the world whose eyes are wide open. They can see what God is doing because they aren't distracted by the benefits and the lures of life in an upside-down world. Because our world's upside down. Amen? The kingdom's right side up. But we lived a good portion of our lives, at least significant, upside down. And so it takes time to see how to be right side up. But Jesus said some people have an advantage those who don't benefit from that upside-down world. And so he offers blessings to those who are poor and hungry, and he offers a warning to those who are not, because we have a hard time seeing it. And he warns the disciples, if you're preaching this right-side up, you're going to be persecuted by those who don't see. And if you're being praised by those who don't see, whoa, well, then you might just be a false prophet. Gives them this warning. So Jesus is going to now launch into what is this living in the right side up world? We know the, the risk of living it, but what does it look like? Not only how they live then, but how we live now. And so I want to walk through a little history of Israel, and then we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to unpack it. Um, Israel's history in Jesus' day was unlike any other point in history for Israel or anywhere else, really, because there was occupation Rome was there everywhere, and you paid a lot of taxes, high, high, high percentage of taxes to Rome and to Herod's people and to the tax collectors. And so some people on the top of the system, those people that were warned last week, they benefit greatly. And so they fight to keep the system in place. So if you're just an average person, a disciple, a person coming out to see Jesus, you are used to being despised and treated as less than, not only by Rome, but by your own people and leaders who have accrued your property because Rome has taken it from you in taxes and given it to them to bribe them to keep the system going. And what this has done to some of your contemporaries, especially in the area of Galilee, is led them to be ready to fight, to start talking about how to put an end to this unjust way, this upside-down world that they believe through redemptive violence. They can fight off with a sword. And so there's zealots, there's uh, Sicarii, there are all sorts of groups. And if you don't know what Romans might travel through the area, and if one Roman got off by himself, a group might come down from the hills and kill him, and then flee back up into the hills and kind of hide, kind of a guerrilla warfare. That was happening in the midst of where Jesus stood and preached. All these people, tired, angry, hurt, and then you have Jesus coming in with this right-side-up kingdom, which stands in the face of a lot of what they want to see. They're looking for a Messiah like David, who will pick up a sword. N.T. Wright has described this situation as a perfect storm because you have 
Rome and Israel. You have Israel in itself, a corrupted religion with the people who see that it's corrupted, and then Jesus in the middle of it all, God's presence in person. Jesus could see war was coming. It had already kind of started. Israel was about to explode in conflict, and he warned them, if you continue down this path, it will lead to destruction, which it did. Just a few decades later, they did rise up, and Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, never to be rebuilt. People wanted Jesus to be this Messiah. When they come to hear him, they're hoping that this is who he is. So he's preaching around this area where all these little rebellion groups are gathered, looking for a leader to unite them. So let's hear what Jesus has to say to this crowd pregnant with anticipation. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting the way children of the Most High act. For he is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good portion, packed down, firmly shaken and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Can you picture the look on the faces of those who heard Jesus say this? knowing what they face, waiting for him to be who they hope he will be. And this is what he says, which is why he starts with, for those who will hear it, here it is. I, I wonder when they heard, love your enemies, how many faces just, or even scowled. What? Pray for those who make life unlivable. Your answer to situation is love? Jesus, you don't live in reality, do you? What a soft response to a harsh life. Now they went on to listen to Jesus' instruction as a disciples, but as a people, they didn't. And like I said, they got crushed. The upside down world persisted in the group. And when you live by the sword, you by the sword. We know it. We have two kingdoms described, an upside down and a right side up. 
The right side up loves, does good, blesses, prays for enemies, prays for those who hate, for those who curse, for those who abuse. That is not easy here, let alone do. The right side up kingdom turns the cheek when it's been struck, gives to anyone who begs expecting nothing in return. It always does to people what they would want done to them. The upside-down kingdom, well, we know this kingdom. It loves those who love them. It does good to those who do good to them. And it lends to those who will give back. We know these kingdoms, right? We've heard these. I think the crux of the difference of these kingdoms for us as the church is how do we see God? Because we're given these two kingdoms and then it says why the right side up is the way that it is. Because God loves even enemies. God does good even to those who do not. God expects nothing in return. And God is kind and merciful to the ungrateful and wicked. Let me ask you, do you believe this? Maybe we want to. Does God expect something in return? How many times have you been told, yeah? There's a disconnect between the world we see around us and the one Jesus describes, amen? It's no different now. So we recognize the upside down. If even just a little, we do. There's a disconnect for the church too. The church struggles, amen? We should be the first to admit it. The disconnect comes with our understanding of God. Do you accept that God loves your enemies as much as God loves you? That God does good to all those who do bad? That God is generous to all and expects nothing in return? Or do you understand a God who only loves when you love? Who only does good for those who live righteously? Who's only generous to those who will respond in kind? I mean, seriously, it's a good question for us to sit with. Which God do we picture? No one will dispute that the world is upside down, except those at the top. The only way we'll ever witness the right-side-up kingdom is through the church. Amen? I mean, if not us, who? Why would anyone else? People might grab swords for the upside-down world or in this day a gun or or whatever the weapon of choice would be. But the church responds differently. Why would anyone else live the way that we're called to live? Living right side up? Oh man, it brings a lot of pain to your ego. Brings a lot of pain to mine. Because I want justice as I see it and define it, right? I just want to pluck that fruit from the knowledge of good and evil tree and just define justice myself and munch away. Right? Be like God. I want comfort. I want to be in control, or at least my people. I want to be the greatest, and I want to be the most powerful, or at least my tribe. And giving all that up is painful. But let's consider it another way rather than just the pain. Picture Jesus' crowd on the day of the sermon, all the different groups that might have been there, some with swords strapped to their thigh, some who had lost loved ones to Rome, Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, all neighbors. Maybe they knew each other. 
Maybe they didn't. They've all faced the same reality. They've faced the same actions of enemies and hatred and abuse and cursing. We can relate to their struggle to receiving this message. Amen? Can you think of times when you faced the anger of an enemy? Have you been hated? Have you been abused or cursed? Have you experienced times of divisiveness and broken relationship due to a difference of opinion? I wish we can all raise our hand there. Do you have relationships that have been damaged due to just a different take on what happened? How many families do you know that have been ripped apart by greed? I've, I've seen it time and again when there's an estate to be given, suddenly greed uproots or takes root and destroys families. I've seen it. Who here holds a grudge against a group of people because of what they represent? Who here holds a grudge against a particular person because of what they said or did? Who here has a resentment because of a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, or a misled bias or prejudice about a person that you know or maybe how they live? Who here has some strong emotions about a political party? What about some strong feelings about what's happening in our denomination? Who here honestly spends much more time dwelling on things you know you shouldn't? Who here has a hard time of letting go of this kind of stuff? All of us. It's like we carry the pain. We carry it around. We take it with us. We can't let it go. And it only gets heavier the longer you carry it, doesn't it? We sometimes think that we're full. We can't carry any more, but my goodness, we find a way. We look back at our lives through a lens of a God who only loves those who do the right thing, who only rewards those who are righteous. And we're trying to live up to that, but we can't because we struggle. We have guilt on top of the brokenness because we feel like we got to carry all this stuff around and figure it out and do it right. We see the brokenness in our relationships and at our church and at home and at work or in our neighborhood or our country and our world, and we just lug it all around, and it slows us down and sometimes causes us to collapse. We lug it around thinking this is our penance, right? Things have happened. Maybe we did it. Maybe someone did it to us. We have to carry it around. God's just not going to release me from it. That's not how it works. Your hands are so busy holding on to this that you can't open your hands to what God may be trying to give you in your life. You have a hard time accepting God as described by Jesus. You may not even know how to love your enemy because you've never seen it, except on the cross, when he did turn the other cheek, when he did give his clothes and forgave all the while. Picture the crowd before Jesus and how much luggage was there. Resentment, anger, the desire for lives to no longer be run by these oppressive and abusive powers, hoping Jesus is the answer. 
Jesus isn't saying, ignore all your baggage and pretend it isn't there. That's not what he's saying. Please don't hear that. He's saying, you don't have to carry it around anymore. You don't have to let it define you or how you live your life. You can drop your bags, maybe in time, maybe right now. That's what forgiveness is. Refusing to let the past determine your experience of the future. Determining what happened then, steer your actions now toward a person, toward yourself. Rarely does forgiving someone affect the other person. Amen? If they don't think they've done wrong, they don't care about your forgiveness. And they're going to have to carry that around and do their own work for the repentance part. Their repentance has not much to do with you. That's them. But we can go ahead and release it. We can say, yeah, that happened. But I'm not going to let that determine my next steps and my next moments. Forgiving is the art of letting go of keeping healthy boundaries and letting go of unhealthy boundaries. Those who have been abused, you know what I'm saying. Trying to live by the way of the upside down will only ever be a long and agonizing life lugging a bunch of baggage around that affects everything you do. You'll always have enemies in life, no matter who you are. Amen? You're going to always experience hatred. Jesus says, if you're a disciple, you're going to be like the prophets. It's going to happen. You're always going to have someone cursing you and what you stand for, even if you stand for the best thing. They did Jesus. And you will face abuse because this world is upside down. But you don't have to follow suit. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't have to let the actions of others define yours. Now, we have some sayings in our culture that help us grasp this. Have you heard the, the term, hurt people, hurt people? What a great saying. We might have just seen a hurtful person, but suddenly we turn around and see a hurt person. And when you can make that change, it changes everything in the moment. Because suddenly you don't see a person that's doing these evil things. You see a person who's doing those, but also a person who was wounded and hurt themselves. And suddenly you can pray for them. Even if you have to keep healthy boundaries up, you can still pray for them and see them as somebody who deserves love. You can forgive them even as they hurt you. Another example is heard stories of so many World War II veterans who are American, German, Japanese, who sit at the table and suddenly become friends because they aren't across the lines anymore. They realize that they were all imprisoned by the sin of war. They were all victims of death and nightmare. And only they know each other's wounds in a way that other people couldn't. And somehow everything changes when they're not fighting for their country in the moment, when they're just human beings sitting down and they all did, they all fought for their country and they, it changes. The past didn't change, but their present and their future can. This kind of thing doesn't just happen. It doesn't just boom, happen all of a sudden. It's a choice. We choose to embrace this right side up kingdom, to live differently, to let go of what we're carrying or to at least start working on it. Because we want to hold on to what God has to offer. And you can't do that unless your hands are wide open. Jesus is offering a life of wide open hands. 
When you're not carrying anything and not picking any bad things back up, you live with your hands wide open. Many people who have suffered an abuse or suffered abuse and hatred, they can't just let it go. I get that. And you, you shouldn't. It takes time. Trauma is real. And you probably need a professional to help you unpack it, but you can start. It can happen. We can simply look to God and know that we can get to that place because no human ever except Jesus has ever loved God back in any kind of equal capacity. Amen? Has any human ever said no to God? Every human has said no. Has any human ever deserved the generosity of mercy and kindness God has given? And yet God continues to give it to everyone even our enemies, even to us who are enemies to others. Jesus came to live the example, to show us, to reveal the nature of God, and then to help us embrace it as our worlds are right side upped. Through a life lived in cooperation with the Holy Spirit as Christians, Jesus can heal us from our baggage and our hurt. We just need to be ready to let go of some things and seek the healing. We could start living our life hands wide open, ready to receive all that God has to give, and God will never run out of gifts. When you live in a way of forgiveness, of non-judging, non-condemnation, people will respond in kind. You're going to be strange at first. You're going to, they're going to think you're up to something. What are you peddling, Pastor? You can't just be good for no reason. You must want something, because that's how the upside-down world works. And in time, we'll reveal different. We can become a community to encourage one another in this kind of thing. What might the impact be of a right-side-up, open-eyed, open-handed group of people have in Sellersburg? What might the impact be for others when they see a demonstration of God who is generous to everyone expecting nothing in return? No catch. What might happen if we fully embraced a way of non-judgment where we never condemn and we always forgive. Perhaps Israel could have avoided the destruction of the temple. Perhaps we might avoid some of the destruction we might be headed toward. I invite you to begin your journey by setting your bag down, even if the beginning is just not yet putting it down, but desiring to. That's a start. And if you're on your journey, if you're in this process, keep going and teach others how to do it. Start looking at hurtful people through the right-side-up lens. Live by the golden rule and the right-side-up kingdom with your hands open. And know, Jesus says, our reward will be great. We will be children of God. We can be healed and in turn be a source of healing for others. Is there anything better than this? I think not. Seek the kingdom first and let the kingdom seek us. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today, and it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.